Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Beautiful day again. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this time in this, in this body of believers. We thank you for the Oasis Church. And Lord, uh, we do pray now that as we open your living word, your inerrant, holy, righteous, good word, that you would speak to us all today by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And we do pray those, for those here today that do not know you, that they would be convicted and saved. We love you, Lord Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's do a little review, then we'll jump into the new text for today. Um, first, I just want to—I just want to hit this one more time: uh, six fifteen through twenty-three. It's such an important truth. We'll just—I'm just going to kind of summarize this in my own words, and then and then we'll go on to the uh, the verses from last week. But basically, what what's going on in these verses six fifteen through twenty-three is is the question. We'll put it in our language, but because we're under the grace of God, not under the law of God. Or maybe how our culture says it today, because God is so loving, God is so kind, God is so forgiving, He doesn't mind if we sin a little bit, does He? That is kind of the question they're asking in, in the beginning of this text. Is, is it okay if we sin a little bit? God's so nice and good and gracious. Does that not sound like our culture today? Yeah, it does. It sounds like, well, God's going to forgive me. God is love. Everybody's going to heaven. Isn't that kind of the theme of our culture today? And obviously, this is what, what was being addressed here in the text. And what does he say? He says, by no means, absolutely not. And then what would be the next question you might ask is, why not? If God is so loving and gracious, why can't we go on sinning? And he says, don't you understand that you're a, you're a slave to whatever master you serve? And there's only two masters. There's Satan and the darkness, and there's Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is light. And you're either serving one master or the other. That's what he's saying. He said, How can you go on serving the master of darkness yet proclaiming Christ? Because the reality is it doesn't matter what we say. It matters how we live out our life. And if you're serving the master of darkness, that indicates your alliances to that master. That's what he's saying in that part of the text. So why not? Because whoever you serve reveals who your master is. And then he says, well, okay, the next not logical question would be how do we live the obedient life? And he goes, this is, might be strange to you, but it's not by making a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. You're never going to be able to live a life of just making do's and don'ts. It says, we live this new life by being obedient from the heart. It's a love relationship that drives us into this new life. And then he covers some other truths in these verses that we're no longer the deception of Satan. We're no longer under his power. We're no longer have to uh, have the power. We now we have the power to obey God. And we now have the power to become slaves to righteousness. And then he closes this little piece of text with the question is, I mean, come on, you've got to remember that everybody in the New Testament time were new believers, right? Later in life convert, converts, because that's all there was. But remember, he says, he goes, come on, he goes, don't you remember what the fruit of your old life was? He goes, just think about the fruit of your old life. And then he says, what about the fruit of your new life? That's how he closes that text. Okay, then last week we were here. 7, 1 through 6. If you'd open your bulletins, I've written a little summary in there for you. I pray you're taking notes every week. You know, as Mr. Thrasher taught us on Wednesday night, here's a, here's a truth for you, that if you hear something, your retention level, this is a statistic now, your retention level is 10%. If you write something, if you take notes, 
your retention level goes up to 50%. I probably would take notes, don't you think? Might be a good idea. Now, here's the reality. In my own life, is, I'm getting on a little tangent, but when I take notes, I don't, you don't necessarily have to go back and review those notes. That's not where the retention comes in. The retention actually comes as, as someone says, the tip of the pencil is the gateway to the mind. As you take notes, it just increases your retention level. Many times I don't go back to my notes, but because I wrote it out, it, it gets deeper into my mind. But anyway, here's, here's a summary of the notes from last week. If you don't believe it, try it yourself. Try writing it a couple weeks and, then, and, and see how much higher your retention level is. But just read along with me in your bulletin. Principle. We have principle. The principle illustrated. The principle applied from last week. The principle is we all know what it is like to live under the law, both governmental laws, which was for the Romans there, and the laws of God, which would have been for the Jews. And we, as in our culture, we know how, to, how it is to live under both sets of laws. And it says all law has authority over someone only as long as they are alive. Principle illustrated that he used, he used the illustration of marriage in the text, 7, 1 through, through 5 through 6. It says the law of marriage is used as an illustration. Husband and wife are to remain faithful to one another as long as they live, but if one dies, they are then released from the law of marriage and free to marry another. Pretty straightforward, right? Okay, then he, the principle applied. Now he brings the, 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 maybe the challenging uh, theological truth here. It says, all who have been born again, all who have become new creations in Christ Jesus, all who have been adopted into the family of God, have died to the law through the body of Christ. We die to the law so that we might be joined to another, Jesus Christ. Just like the marriage illustration, we cannot be married to Jesus Christ until we first died to the law. And I have in parentheses there, faith in Christ or faith in the law. You can't serve two masters. We are, we are now joined to Jesus Christ so that we may bear fruit for God, the fruit of being slaves to righteousness. We all know the fruit that we produce as slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, but now we must begin to produce a new fruit, a fruit of life. We realize this new fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, who leads us into all righteousness. If we trust in the law, in our own righteousness, then we will be judged by the law and our righteousness. We can, be, we can be sure that anyone who chooses this form of faith will come up short of the righteousness that God requires. It is only living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that one will be saved. It is only through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that anyone can produce lasting fruit. Amen. That's a summary of last week. You ready for the next one? We got a tough one today. But, so I'm going to lead you on a little, little journey here this morning with some supporting text. So everybody take a deep breath, relax. It's a beautiful day. We won't be here that long. Uh, but here's, here's where we're going to go today, which is uh, Romans. If you open your Bibles to Romans 7, and we're going to work our way through 7, from verse 7 through 13, Lord willing. And our brother Leon's going to open the word for us today. If you'd all please stand as we read God's word. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment 
produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you, Lena. Appreciate it. So to try to picture this if you can, the, uh, especially the, the Jewish people receiving this letter. I mean, you've got to remember this. It was such a unique time in history because these are, the Jews came out of the Old Covenant, right? They, that, it wasn't old to them, by the way. It was, the, it was their covenant. And so they were raised with the obedience to the law and all the rituals and all the feasts. That's what they were raised with, okay? Now picture this. This letter's going to the Romans. These were born-again believers now, Right? So they get this letter, and you've got to imagine the Jews going, hey, well, well wait a minute, you know, we were, we were told this was the way of God, and, and the word was important, and the law was important, and now we're born-again believers, and they knew they were born-again believers, anybody that's sitting here knows whether you're born-again a believer, because the Holy Spirit lives within you, and they're saying, well, now you're telling me that it's not by the law, there's this new covenant, new way of life by the Holy Spirit, so what, what value does the word have? What is the word all about? Can you see those kind of questions coming up in, in the people? Would make sense, wouldn't it? Kind of a confusion. Us, it's different because we were raised, obviously, on the new covenant. So that's the kind of questions. And if you look here, we'll start off with, with verse 7. It says, what then shall we say that the law is sin? So in other words, what part does this law have in a new believer's life? Now, you remember... Paul's already taught us a great deal in the book of Romans. I'm just going to review these with you quickly so you can see what he's already taught them about the law. In Romans 3.20 it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become what? Conscious of our sin. So he already told them the purpose of the law wasn't to save them, but it was to reveal the sin in their life. Uh, Romans 4.15, we already studied this too, but it says, Because the law brings wrath. And there is, no law, there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. How about this one? Romans 5.13 To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So do you see, he's already taught them the importance of the law. You know, this, this last one, just think about your, if you have a kid, and any time the kid does something wrong, you spank them. But you never tell them any of the rules. You don't tell them why they're being spanked. They just get spanked when they do something wrong. But the reality is, we, the law reveals what God's righteous requirements are, reveals what sin is, and therefore wrath comes to it, consequences come from it, and that's a fair, loving, just God. Amen? So we learned that already in this last one we talked about last week, which is... Uh, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in a new way by the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. 
but now he's going to explain it in more detail. Is everybody doing okay? Looks like a tired church this morning. Is everybody all right? Okay, just stay with me. It's a, this is a critical truth today. You're probably surprised, but I'm fired up about the truth that I have to share with you today. I'm fired up. It's just an, it's a great message. Morning, Anthony. Um, and we're going to get on a little journey here about this, but we'll, we'll see what he says, why uh, the law is not sin, by no means. Look what he says here next. He says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now I think it's interesting that the Lord picked this particular commandment. He picked the, the commandment, do not covet. As the, as the illustration of what Paul broke, that commandment. Now, I just want you to stay with me. I'm going to show you some, some significant truths as it relates to that. Do you remember these verses, Philippians 3, 4, and 5, 3, 4, and 6, that Paul said? Here's what he said about himself. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, what's the word he uses? Faultless. That's what he said about his life. But what's he saying in the text today? If it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have realized my sin of covetousness. Do you see that? Now stay with me here. Watch this. We're going to look at the. When's the last time you looked at the Ten Commandments? It's been a while. Yeah, just hopefully they're familiar to all of you. But just I want to show you a very important truth. Look at here. We'll go through the Ten Commandments briefly. I really would like to preach a whole sermon on this, but and God, it says here, and God spoke all these words. This is Exodus twenty-one through seventeen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First commandment: You shall have no other gods before me. That's another way of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So you shall know the God's form. The next one, look at this next commandment. I, I love the ladies have been studying at Wednesday's Bible study this issue of idolatry. It looks like God takes idolatry pretty seriously because he takes a little bit to explain it, doesn't he? You see that? It says, he says, you shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God takes idolatry seriously. Now, I'm just going to get on one little tangent here, just for a minute. You know, when it says that you see that he punishes sin for thir the third and fourth generation for those who hate God. You see that? Now, I hear a lot of guys, I'm going to talk to, you know, guys that may be coming out of the mission will say that, that they're alcoholics. And, and it's a genetic disposition. There's nothing they can do about it. It's in their genes. Their dads were alcoholics. Their grandpas were alcoholics, right? Has anybody ever heard that before? Or I hear the other one, I'm angry, but my dad was angry. He had a temper problem. My grandfather had a temper problem. It's, it's a genetic coding. I'm telling you what it is. It's generational sin. 
It's this curse he's talking about here. See, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not a genetic code. It isn't a, it isn't a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. And, and so I don't want you to be deceived about that. It, it, and here's the, here's the good news. What is it saying here? For those that break that bond, you see that? Those that break that bond, how many generations does it go on? Thousand generations. So you know what? I think today we've got some, some brothers and sisters sitting here that have broken that generational sin pattern and you're the beginning of a thousand generations of those who are obedient to God. Isn't that awesome? You can have, here's the deal, when you get to heaven, you can have thousands of generations of grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids, on and on and on of people that are in heaven. You've broken the bond and you've lived a faithful life and you're starting a new trend within your family. Isn't that great? So don't buy the lie, it's a genetic coding. That just, that's just the way of the devil of enabling people to live, continue to live in sinful patterns and it's not true. If Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. Okay, look at this next one. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold, not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. How many people do you hear using the Lord's name in vain? Yeah. Okay, just let's go to the next. Here's the second part of this list here. Stay with me, I'm going to make a point. But remember the Sabbath. Here's another one he takes pretty seriously. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Pretty good commandment. I'm thankful for all of you that are here every Sunday and, and you believe that truth. I give you, I'm going to tell you another little secret here. I'm getting on tangents today. It's a tangent Sunday. But here's, here's what I found out. The, you know, when I came to Christ, I worked a lot before that. And... Uh, you know, I didn't always keep the Sabbath holy. But I finally got this truth. When God revealed this truth to me, I began to make the Sabbath holy. It's a day of rest. It's a day of reflection. It's a day where I spend more time in my word and, and with my family. But here's what's amazing. Is that the other six days, I end up getting more done than I did when I, start, when I used to work seven days. Do you see how God works? It's amazing. As you're obedient to him, he blesses you. And I actually got more done in six days than I used to get done in seven. That isn't a prophecy preaching. It's just, it's just the reality of the graciousness of our God. Okay, let's keep going. Honor your, here's the first, no kids in here. We should bring this down to the Sunday school. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in, in, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's the first commandment with a promise. In other words, if you don't obey me, if you, I, if you don't obey me, I might kill you. That's not what it says. Every sin. But really, if you could tell, if you, if you ever raised or saw rebellious kids, you can tell why this commandment's true. If they don't follow their parents, they rebel, and their lives can be shortened because of their own rebellion. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's finish this. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And here it is. Here's the one that Paul is confessing the law revealed to him in his heart. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
Now, as I mentioned, Paul picked, I'm sure God picked this commandment uh, to reveal to us through Paul for a specific reason. I want you to see this. The first commandment, which I'm going to summarize by love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, is one bookend. The other bookend is do not covet. And you notice the eight in between are all external sins. But those two, the first and the tenth, are sins that live within your heart. They're internal. See, we can't, I can't tell if you're coveting. God can. I can't tell if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But I can tell if you committed adultery. I can tell if you committed murder. So you see, the reality is, Paul had been faithful in keeping all the external commandments. But when the law came into his heart, when God opened his heart to the Word of God, what he realized is there was covetousness living inside of him. He was full of pride and self-righteousness. And he desired things that weren't his. That's what coveting is, by the way. It's a lack of contentment with where God has you in life. So you have jealousy towards what other people have, whether it's spiritual gift, material gifts. You're looking at them. You're comparing your life to them. You're desiring what is not yours. You with me on this? Yeah, so, so see, Paul, even though on the outside he was obeying all the laws, that's why he was faultless, but in reality his heart was rotten. He really didn't love the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and his heart was coveting and full of self-righteousness and pride. Where's your heart at? Do you have jealousies when you see people? Do you grumble and complain? Do you compare your life to other people's lives? Covening is that internal sin that you need to examine yourself on to see what's living in there. Now, you remember the, remember the uh, encounter with the rich young ruler? Remember that one? And you remember, I love this too, it's just a reinforcement of this point. We're going to spend a few minutes on this, but it says, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And look at what Jesus, Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, and look the ones he quotes. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. That's the only ones he named. And then he said, and how did the rich young rule respond to this statement? He said, I have kept these from my youth. And the text says, Jesus loved him and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. Do you see that? The rich young ruler, just like Paul, was faultless with the external laws. But in his heart, he did not love the Lord his God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he was a coveter. He coveted the things of the world. Because we know he left Jesus after that encounter in great distress, the text says. We don't know if he ever came to Christ, but at that moment, he was unwilling to obey of getting rid of all the things where he found significance and follow Jesus. It's internal sin. It's a sin of the heart that he's talking about. Now, I want to show you. Is everybody doing okay? Can we stay on this for a little bit? I want to make sure you get this. Look at this. This is amazing. Uh, I'll just put these both up here. This, this is the text in the Jewish community. It's called the Shema. 
which for the Hebrew word it means for here, and the, and the Jewish people, the faithful Jewish followers, would recite these two. They would also recite uh, Numbers 13, 37 through 41. They would recite these twice a day, the faithful Jews. Twice a day they would recite these. And, and, and why am I showing you this? But just let's look at them and then we'll talk about it for just a minute. It says, Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Twice a day they would say that prayer. And Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 21. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets be- between your eyes. Now, the, the point I want, you to, I want you to see today is that God had made it very clear what his priority was. The Jewish people said this twice a day. They knew that the issue, what God was most concerned about was their heart, not their outward obedience to the law he was concerned about their heart love the lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength and the external stuff the, the 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 slave of righteousness will follow from a converted heart that's what god's interested in is he interested in the works and the righteous life yes but he's not interested in the righteous life or the good works apart from a broken heart from a heart that's surrendered to him it has to come out of the right motivation are you with me on this yeah, so, you know, here's the deal. I mean, a lot of people think they go to church. If you talk to people, maybe even before you were saved, hey, do you, if you st- and I've done this, stop people on the street, say, hey, you know, if you died today, do you think you'd go to heaven? What do you think most people say? I, I hope so. I think I've been a good enough person. This is what Timothy and I were talking about Wednesday night Bible study. I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done the big sin, so I... I think, you know, God grades on a curve. I think I'll be able to get to heaven. I go to church on Sunday, right? But I'm telling you, if your heart's not right, it doesn't matter. Your heart has to be right with God because that's what he's looking at. Now, let me just give you a little more illustration on this. How about this? I just want to show you how well the Jewish people knew this. Do you remember the time when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees? And, and, and the, a senior legal, legalist of the Pharisees came up and says, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember that in the text? And what did Jesus quote? He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5. He also quoted Leviticus 19.18, but he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then later on, you remember, and this is in Luke chapter 10, Jesus asked a Pharisee what the greatest commandment was, and what did he quote? Deuteronomy 6.5. So the point is, is the Jews prayed this twice a day. The Jews knew this is what God desired. But it isn't how they live their lives. Now let me just show you two more illustrations. Look at these verses. These are words from Jesus. I want to show you what he said about the heart. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Follow with me. I'm going to go quickly through these. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Remember this? He said, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Did he change that law? How many of you have committed murder according to this standard? I think we all have, right? How about this next one? You've, you've heard it's, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I would have to say that most men in here have committed adultery at some point in their life. And then Jesus said this a little later in the book of Matthew, for where your treasure is, your heart will also be. See, brothers and sisters, I just want to make sure you get the point. It's pretty clear. But what Paul was beginning to see, even though he lived a very righteous life, is that his heart was rotten. His heart was absolutely rotten. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, but you've got to examine your heart. One more illustration from Paul's life. Now, we already talked about this. This is where he said he was faultless according to the law, but look what he says next. Verse 7 through 11 says, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture today, but just stay with me here if you can. But this is verse 7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Do you see that? He's looking back at this this incredible life. I mean, come on, he was a man of the law. He was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a tribe of Benjamin. He's looking at all these standards that the church, if you will, put on him. And he was the, the outstanding church member. And he's saying, you know what? It's all garbage. It's all garbage compared to the, to the, to the intimacy that I now have with Christ. That intimate relationship with Jesus. And he said... I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. See, he's realizing that he was, not un, he was unable to earn his own salvation, but which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So, do you see this? Are you get, does, is everybody getting this? The point of this? It's the heart issue, right? It's, it's out of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it's falling in love with Jesus. If you're coming to your word and trying to find out do's and don'ts so that you think you can live the righteous life, you're, you're wasting your time. It's out of an intimate relationship with Jesus that he drives the righteous life. Because see, once you're falling in love with Christ, you're going to want to live the righteous life. It will be a natural outflowing of this new relationship. And I could call up a number of people in this church right now to give testimony of that in their own life. Are you there? You know, I was thinking of a simple illustration. Think about this. Now, what if I based my marriage on laws? I hear some that I wrote down. I must hold Mary's hand 15 minutes a day. Right, so here... here Okay, got that done. I, I must kiss her every morning before I go to work and when I get home. Right? And, and I, let's keep adding. I, I made a nice list here. Maybe Mary's going to make me hold up to these. I don't know. But. Must send flowers to Mary on our anniversary. 
Must tell Larry, Mary I love her once a week. Maybe that's not enough. Must talk with Mary one hour per day. And I can keep building this list. I can make 600 plus laws like the Jews had, right? Now, first of all, do you think I can keep all those? No. So here we are, i got these 600 plus laws and they're posted on my refrigerator and I come home and I'm kind of checking my day out and I'm like, oh boy, today was really a bad day. I'm convicted. I'm feeling like a terrible husband because I'm not living up to the laws of marriage. But here's a bigger question. What kind of relationship do you think Mary and I would have? Yeah, it would, be, it would not be a good, loving, intimate relationship. And see, I'm, only, I'm using that illustration because that's how God is. If, if, you're, if you're coming to his word and relationship, coming to prayer, coming to church, coming to fellowship, and, and you're not coming here to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus, you know, you're living with the 15 minutes of holding her hand and kissing goodbye today. You, you're not going to get there that way, brothers and sisters. It comes from an intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a heart issue. You with me? That's what it's all about. And that's what Paul's discovering in his own heart as he, as he got saved. Okay. Back to the text. That was the point for the day. We could quit, but we're not going to. Look, look here's next is uh, verse 8. So you see, I just want you to see, that's what's going on in Paul's life, this issue of realizing his heart was rotten. Now look at verse 8. It says, but sin, I love this, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. This is so awesome. I mean, here, here's what I want you to picture is that, for, see, here we are, we're, we're born spiritually dead, we've been serving the old nature, right? We're serving sin, Satan and sin for, for a certain part of our life. I don't know when you got saved, maybe you got saved younger in life, but the reality is we all did that. And then all of a sudden, we realize we're not saved. The law comes in, realizes we're, covet, we're coveting. We realize we've got a rotten heart. And what do you think the old nature does? It, what are you saying? It says it lies dead. But to me, that's like a possum, right? That old sin nature living within us, all of a sudden, the light comes in. Maybe you've been in some buildings where there's uh, cockroaches and you turn the light on and pew, they scatter, right? Well, when, when the light of God comes into a heart, and reveals covetousness, and it comes to life, that light shines itself on all the other sins that are in there. Do you see that? And they're all coming alive. You're, here's the deal. You're beginning to realize you're a lot worse off than you first thought. Right? Anybody with me on that? Yeah, and see, that's called sanctification. But we, we first see we're sinners, we realize a Savior. But after that, boy, the work starts, right? You, he, the light comes in and reveals, oh man, i got a pride problem. i got a i got a righteousness problem. i got an anger problem. And all these things start being revealed to us. And that's what he's talking about deep within him. He said it wasn't just coveting. It was covetousness of many kinds were coming out of him. Is anybody else in process with me in this? Yeah. And when do we get done with that? When we get to heaven. I mean, here's encouragement for you. Remember Isaiah? Do you know Isaiah from the Bible? I mean, come on. He, he was a serious man of God. He was one of the great men of God. So, I mean, I would think he was pretty far along in the sanctification process, wouldn't you? But what happened when he came, in, came in face to face with God? Woe to me. Fell on his face. Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. You see that? Boom! On his face. This was a, 
This was Isaiah. So guess what? He wasn't fully sanctified either. But that is the process of our life. Paul was realizing the depth of his sin. Let me challenge you here. If you have never gone through that in your own life, you better examine yourself. Because any born again believer comes face to face with the depth of their own sinfulness. It's just a reality of the salvation process. But let me give you an encouragement point. God is gracious. I've said this before. God is gracious. He only reveals the sin in our life that we can handle at that time. He's very gracious. He, he leads us on that journey and, and reveals sin in our life as we process and we pray and we repent and he, and he slowly grows us up. Isn't that awesome? I told you before, if God revealed all the sin in our lives at one moment, the moment we were saved, we'd all drop dead. There's no way we could handle how dark and sinful we are as people. Do you believe that? I believe it in my own life. So that's what's going on here. Now let's look at what's next here. This is, just gets better and better. We doing okay, Delio? All right, brother. A couple more points here. It says, uh, verse 9, 11 says, this is an interesting one. It says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Now what in the world does that mean? I want you to see this, that it's amazing, but something good, like the Word of God, was used, the good, holy, righteous Word of God was used to deceive Paul. That's what he's talking about here. It was used to deceive him because the, the law itself was good, so he was trying to obey everything that was in the law. And it, what he's saying here, it was leading me to death. Do you see? Now, if Paul was never saved, if he, didn't, if he wasn't awakened to the truth, he would have continued to think that he was living for God. He would have continued to go on killing Christians. And he would have thought he was going to go to heaven when he died, right? But where would he go? He'd be going to hell. So this law itself, something that was good, was used by sin, and you'll see this in the next verse, was used by sin to deceive him. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you think there's people today that are deceived? We already talked about it. If you ask most people, they all think they're going to heaven. Many people are deceived. In fact, let me put it this way. Most people are deceived that think they're saved when they're not. Now, let me show you the next part of this. One more point. So, the, so here he's concluding now. So he says the, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, he wants to clarify from the last point. Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That is the good news here. I mean, the reality is what Paul is saying is that, yes, I was being deceived by the, by the goodness of the, the... Even the good law was being used against me to be deceived. He said, but it led me to the point of the end of myself 
where I could see the truth and it led to a different type of death, death to self, which resulted in salvation. Do you see that? So even though the law itself was being used to deceive him in that process as God revealed it to him, he saw in the law his own deceitful heart. He got to the end of himself and he died to self and was born again. Isn't that incredible? So the, the question is, what are the blessings in the law? He says the, the law reveals our sin. The, raw, the law reveals the depth of our sin. The law will break the sinner. And the law will lead the sinner to salvation. All those are clearly spelled out in the text today. So what do you think? Is the law sin? No. The law leads to salvation. So the question for you, brothers and sisters, is what's the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just grateful for your word today. Thank you for this incredible teaching about coveting and your concern with our heart above all else. And Lord, I do pray for these dear brothers and sisters, those that know you, that they would also examine their own hearts to see any footholds or strongholds that the the evil one is building, whether it's coveting or loving others, idols above you. And Lord, I also pray for those that are not saved today that they will see what it really means to be saved. It isn't religion, it's relationship. And I pray you'd break them in that. In Jesus' name, amen.